Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Michelle Blanchett. She was actually recommended to me on Twitter. You know, I just put out a blanket tweet of, I'm looking for educators who have become entrepreneurs. And she was one of a group of people. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. And, I, and when I went to her website and checked her out and saw her a TED talk, I was, oh, I got to get Michelle on the show. Uh, because she has created this amazing uh, company. She's going to be She's working on a book. We're going to talk about that. But I wanted to have her on to talk about her journey and the work that she is doing. Uh, so for those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Simplecast, will you please introduce yourself, Michelle? Hi, yeah. Um, well, that was quite an introduction. So I, again, I'm Michelle, um, founded the Educators Lab. I'm a former teacher. Very happy to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm kind of looking forward to doing this. Um, don't usually do podcasts, so no experience for me. So we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Yes. So, thanks for having me. Yep. You're welcome. So I'm always curious about who we become, where we end up in life. You know, when you're a kid, you, you, you're chilling, you know, you you don't have a lot of worries and you know, when people ask you what you want to be, you may say Batman or a fireman. Uh, but it's, but people at five years old, six years old, they don't say investment banker. Um, what do you think you would be doing when you were growing up and what drew you to the field of education? So when I was little, I don't know what I wanted to be, but I knew I, I did not want to be a teacher because my mom was, and I had to stay after school with her every day until we got to go home. And I knew how much work it was. And, you know, I was a kid, so I kind of just wanted to go home and play. But I was always there, you know, at least an extra hour every day. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to I do all this. But um, I had wanted to go into international development. Um, that I remember at some point, I don't know when that started, but that's kind of, oh, you know what? When I was really little, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Remember, I wanted to study sharks. We were the original watchers of Shark Week, I think. Um, but uh yeah, so then it switched over to international development. But then um, one summer uh, when I was in college, I did an internship in D.C. in Anacostia. And it was this sort of camp, but there was this four-hour component of, of learning that took place inside school. And they couldn't get teachers in. So they let me do it, and I actually loved it. So then it kind of, you know, switched my trajectory and, and then went into the field of education. Wow. What is your interest? I'm so sorry. Could you hold on one second? Okay. Where does your interest in entrepreneurship come from? What was the story behind you founding the Educators Lab? Um, sure. So I, would, I was never really interested, I would say, in entrepreneurship. Um, I did my master's at Instituto de Empresa in Madrid, and um, since it's largely a business school, uh, there was a lot of focus on social business and social entrepreneurship. 
And like I said, I, I was interested in international development. So this whole space was fascinating to me. Like, and for those that aren't familiar, um, it's just people, usually they don't have a business background, but they use um, business principles to do good. Um, so I just love this concept. I, you know, I helped out with the social responsibility forum and I just got super involved into this space. Um, and I remained involved in this space even as an educator. So lo and behold, um, as a teacher, you know, the problem usually just falls in your lap. It's not like you go and seek and search for problems. You kind of just, there's something that just happens um, and the dots kind of fall into place or or connect. Um, and so for me, you know, both in the US and I had taught in Switzerland as well, um, I was just blown away at how poorly used professional development time was. Um, because you'd hear teachers like constantly talking about what's going on. Everybody knew kind of what the, the problem areas were in a school or for their classrooms. And then instead of being able to use that time, which is so precious in education, to collaborate and figure out how to address issues. Um, we usually we had like lecturers that were super expensive or, you know, other things we were mandated to do that really had for me no value add. So the dots kind of clicked because with working with social entrepreneurs, um, I love this idea of having incubators and accelerators and just mm. bringing people in and letting them explore ideas and try to figure out how to solve things and how to actually, um, implement those ideas so something could could really happen and that's kind of um kind of where the educator lab came from is like how do we revamp this space and we did that by applying what we knew from the business world um and then uh yeah i think the other reason too i was able to do the educators lab was because um when we had our first daughter i had four months of maternity leave um, and that kind of gave me uh, some a little bit of playtime, and we used it, and I was able to transition over to to this space. Wow, four months! Wow, that was a lot of time. And actually, yeah, Switzerland has the lowest, I think, in Europe. So you can only imagine what the other countries get. Wow. So. Before we move on, I want to kind of touch on something about your education experience, right? Mm -hmm. When you say using business principles to solve problems, that's like cool, right? That is not the... Well, we think so, yeah. <laughs> not sort of the norm of what kids are are taught like even you know kids in programs that are let's say cte so kids are learning about culinary arts or they're 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 learning about they're not even taught take this go create a business or take this do xyz it's sort of still learn this to go get a job to go work for someone else how did that educational experience impact how you viewed education once you got into the classroom? Well, I think, so first off, I think it's interesting because a lot of people, especially in the education, education space, they associate business as bad about just being about making money. And then, then they also, like if you talk about the startup or entrepreneurship, they think it means you have to create a business. And what I like is the mindset. 
And right now, like you go to conferences on the future of work and you hear so many people talking about um, what kids need today to thrive right out there in the world. And they are saying, you know, yeah, we need more job creators, not just job seekers. So, you know, you hear that dialogue a lot. But one thing that I've noticed is um, they don't, they ignore the teacher factor. So for them, teachers are still like, we have this, you know, outdated role of lecturer. We just give facts and that's not what we do anymore. I almost think we really need to have a new word for how we define teaching because that's not what it is. And I think with this training, um, I know that I didn't feel like my teacher training equipped me with the skills and mindset that they said they wanted me to pass on to kids. And I think being in this space and having the ability, like, so, you know, when we talk about using business principles, we don't mean that we want all these teachers to create a business. We're just saying, you know, and maybe it's similar to design thinking, how do you approach a problem and turn it into action? And you know, doing those kinds of things forces you to take risks, to collaborate, to problem solve, to critically think, you know, all those things that we want the kids to do. So I feel like going through this process is a better way of training yourself to have those exact skills, that exact mindset that we say we want the kids to have, because you can't really give what you don't have yourself. Um, so I think for me, um, it just provided a great outlet to kind of kill two birds. It's like practicing what we preach and then also if we're given a space to collaborate um, and to solve problems, we actually are improving teaching and learning at the same time. Um, because the other part of why we did this is not because you know we think teachers are inadequate, it's actually because we hear that teachers have great ideas all the time, how do we support them? And this provided a structure to do that, if that answered your question. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So okay. how, how did you get started in speaking and leading professional development and how did you discover that you could actually monetize your talents? So I had worked with enough social entrepreneurs to know when I got started that I had no brand. Nobody knew who I was. Why should anybody listen to me? And I actually just applied to do a TEDx. And I'm very passionate about this. I feel very strongly about it. So I just submitted a video um, and just, you know, kind of just spoke from the heart about why I think hey guys, you really need to support us better. Like as teachers, like we're, this, this is, we're the profession that leads to the other professions. You guys aren't doing a good job of training and supporting us and this is why things aren't happening. And um, that was enough of, the TEDx was enough of a springboard to um, get further engagements and then it just kind of spring, springboarded from there. And then also um, at the same time we worked a lot, um, and when I say we, I work a lot with, um, uh, this other woman, Darcy Bakagard, she's from PBS. We met through that organization. Um, we have worked to create tools that we've adapted from the social business space and, and, and been able to give to teachers. So for example, um, if you talk about social entrepreneurs, a lot of them start with a lean canvas or a business model canvas. Like if you go into a workshop, that's what they, you know, revolve around and that way those people leave and they have an idea of what to do next so we created an educator canvas so you come in with your ideas you work around this and then hopefully you leave with something that you know you can do tomorrow um and so from those we were able to kind of just move forward and then finally and this was i guess kind of random um I guess a lot of organizations realize they don't have good PD. I mean, all the research says PD is not very effective. And people were interested in talking because a lot of organizations that run the PD 
are very disconnected from classroom reality. So they were interested in working and, and talking, you know, with us and saying, how do we redesign this? Like, we want to be effective. We honestly just kind of don't know what we're doing. So um, that was very eye-opening as well, how many organizations were like, yeah, we totally want a consultant for how to design better PD. So what is your vision for your company and what has helped you, your business take off? Um, so we, yeah, so we had mentioned, I had mentioned to you before, I always kind of struggle to answer this. So on the impact side, we would love to keep consulting and working with organizations on how to better train and support teachers. So we really elevate the profession. Like teachers do so much and have so, they have so much potential to really bring education to where it could be. But I, you know, there's just this kind of elephant in the room where we say we trust and love teachers, but that's not, that's not what I see happening um, with how we train them and with how we support them. Um, so we'd really like to, to change that game. But as far as like on the company level, um, you know, as we were talking before, work-life balance is really, really important to me. And part of the reason I've, I've kept doing this instead of entering back into the classroom is I, I still get to work with people. Um, so I, I get the, a little bit of the teaching part that I love. But, um, you know, I can work two days a week for 10 months of the year and make more than I did as a teacher, which means I get lots of time to spend with my kids. I get lots of time to pursue other creative endeavors. So I'd really like to be able to make an impact while keeping work-life balance. Um, and I know other folks I work with are, are worried about that as well. So I would say that that's our kind of vision is how do we make an impact but keep work-life balance? Mm. So I want to throw this out there to you because I don't know if you've had these discussions on Twitter or offline but there's a group of our colleagues who feel as though we shouldn't monetize our genius, that we should just give it all away for free. And then once you start charging for that lesson plan or you start, you know, consulting that you are not upholding the creed of being an educator what do you say to them about the need for us to get in the game, right? To create multiple streams of income or be the people who are giving, giving that PD, given the fact that we've been in those rooms where an outsider comes in that doesn't know the profession, but they're just there to, do their curriculum that the district paid for? So this is what I say. Um, there's a lot of money in education. Like even just PD alone, it's estimated what between an eight and $18 billion industry. I've seen different numbers, right? So there is a ton of money in education and I'm not saying it's great to monetize off of it. I'm saying that being educator doesn't mean you need to be a martyr either. I don't think that you are sacrifice. I mean, we need to live. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> you need, I like you need to pay your rent and you need to, I don't think the fact that you need to make a living and pay for healthcare or whatever um, says that you are a bad person. 
I don't understand. It's kind of like that fallacy with productivity. Like you need to be in work 12 hours a day to be the most productive and best worker. We know that's not true. So how come in the education space, you're only a true educator if you don't think about money? I don't think that's fair because I see teachers doing so much. Like I've had even nonprofits where we're like, you know what? We only want the motivated educators, meaning they're going to work more without getting paid more. And I was like, you do realize they have kids. And they have this and that going on in their lives. So you're asking them to go above and beyond for their kids, miss their, miss their own child's soccer practice, miss their own child's whatever, because they need to prove how, what a good person they are. I just, I, for me, I, I find this to be um, a bit misguided. And maybe that's, and I also think that also contributes to this argument of not paying teachers adequately what we should. I mean, I think teachers deserve a higher salary across the nation. I don't think we pay, and that's sometimes when people talk about getting talent. Yeah, a lot of teachers don't stay in the classroom or leave because, let's face it, like, life is expensive. Um, so I think it is unfair to, you know, assume that all people have bad intentions um, if they monetize off what they are doing. And I think part of also why, for example, I also like social business because you know how you have that nonprofit is good and for profit is bad mentality. Well, I don't think a lot of people who aren't in the space realize, you know, that nonprofit is spending 80% of its time looking for funds from people going around asking for money so they can operate. Whereas the social business who yes, is for profit spends 30% of their time getting, you know, around revolving around funds. But since they're able to sustain themselves better, they can spend more of that time focusing on impact. So I don't think it's fair to just make that assumption. No doubt. No doubt. I, I'm telling you, well, you, you just laid, whew, you just laid it down. I, I love it. I appreciate it because I have that same thinking. And, and I want people out there to understand that even though a public school isn't on paper classified as a for-profit business. It is in fact a for-profit business. Meaning, as you know, when funds are not there, teachers lose jobs, positions are cut, programs are cut. So yes, they're, they're, they're not out there selling a product for a fee but if the money isn't there that teacher friend of yours down the hall may not be there next year because their position is cut so money is an important aspect of everything you know that we do so i'm, I'm glad you you went there because when i hear people talk about that and try to make public school system good you know teachers good money bad when i hear people make that that argument I'm, I'm wondering like where is this where is this coming from it's just not the reality you know i mean and also too i want to say i think a lot of people need to just focus more on how things are operate more than if it makes money or if it doesn't make money because there's a good way and a bad way to do things so for example even with ed tech you know i like i've i've seen multiple ed tech people and some of them i think are great and others i think they just are sucking money that for sure could be used because like i mean this it, this is very loaded is basically what i want to say like i just don't think someone can make a judgment call 
immediately, like get to know the organization or, or the goals of what they're doing. And then sure, you can say they have good intentions or they don't. But I think the fact that whether it's earning money or if it's not, it's not a good, um, a not a good way to determine if it's, if it's something good or bad. I got you. I got you. So let's get into the work you do. <clears throat> As I was reviewing your website, entrepreneurial thinking just jumped right out to me as a, as an underlying thing. And I got so excited. I was like, Ooh, I've hit the jackpot here. What is a startup teacher? Cause when I saw that and I read about it, I said, Oh, okay. And I did look at your educator canvas as well. Uh, but those are things that really got me excited. And so talk about that. And, what are some of the services you offer and how would you describe the work you do? Okay. So I, I used to, I started off running workshops the same way you would with social entrepreneurs. We'd get teachers in the room and we were like, guess what? We're going to try to give you recertification hours for you working on your own ideas. And most teachers love it. They get the coaching, they get the support, um, you know, that Canvas is created because it's like, get your ideas down. This is your time to collaborate, you know. So we, I basically, it was basically, you know, a PD run in the same fashion as it would be for somebody working on a, a social business model. Um, and again, I keep emphasizing social business because those entrepreneurs are focused on impact, not profit, since we just had this talk. And teachers are, are focused on impact, not profit as well. So that's why it, it does align quite nicely. Um, so I used to do that. And then we've kind of evolved. Um, at the moment, we mostly run um, and redesign PD for other organizations. And a lot of them like this kind of startup approach though because for me when we talk about a startup approach it's really about how do you let people solve problems how do you let them play with ideas and explore and then do something about it um, and for example you know with a lot of organizations they don't they don't offer time to let you play with anything or to figure out how you apply it to your classroom or to collaborate with others and feel like what you know what works best um, so that is largely what we work on now. Um, and then we've, we're working on this book, The Startup Teacher, which is time, times 10 publications. And they largely do the Hack Learning series, if you're familiar. Mm -hmm. So um, we, this should come out shortly. So the, who, the girl I'm writing with is expecting triplets. So <laughs> it's um, changing. Yes, we're, she's very excited. But it's changing up the timeline a little bit. So I don't think any of us are sure what to expect. But um, basically, the startup teacher is kind of what we've learned by running these innovation workshops, if you will, with teachers. So um, we start off by saying, don't think of yourself just as a teacher anymore because people don't get what we do. We are learning designers. We're problem solvers. Um, and we want to help you support that. This book is all about coaching you through the process because you don't need to hire us. You don't need a consultant. You can do this yourself. Um, and then we, we divide it into, um, so the book is made of five sections. It's inspired by the business model generation books. It's pretty visual. You can fill it in, whatever. Um, but we focused on number, uh, the first section was kind of on getting your, your head in a good space because we noticed sometimes you ask teachers to, you know, to innovate or problem solve. If you're exhausted or stressed out, you're not innovating. Like we shouldn't even ask you to. So the first part is really on just self-care. Um, the second part is kind of helping you get through the educator canvas. So it's kind of like project management. You've got an idea. What do you need to think through to make it happen? Um, and it's just guiding you through that process. And the final part is on transformational leadership. 
Um, for whatever reason, you talk about leadership in the business world, it's more about building relationships, helping people perform better. When you talk about it in education, it is your principal or administrator. Um, so it's more about power and title. So it's kind of like, like, no, um, let's talk about transformational leadership. It's what business people use. It's all about how to build better relationships, which is so, so, so important in education. And for whatever reason, it, it never we, we don't really discuss that either. And we talk about that a lot because if you do have an idea, how do you engage others in it? How do you work with people? And we thought this was really important because we've seen a lot of teachers not be able to innovate because they're scared to write an email to their principal or they want to avoid working with their team or like they're just, they just kind of avoid the other adults in the building. Um, so we thought that section was really necessary to kind of give just practical tips and advice on, on how to push through. Mm. And you're you're so right about that leadership, and I and I and in in I had to adopt a different mindset in the work that I do because as an instructional technologist, I don't have the power, right? I don't have the power. I don't have the title to say you will do this in your classroom. So my shift was, what do you want to do, Miss Johnson? And how can I help you get there? And so when school first started and I met with all of the new teachers at the high school, the first thing I told them was, I am not here to tell you what to do, right? I'm here to offer you support. So tell me what you need and we'll work from there. And that was different for me because even I have my, things that the district tells me that I have to do in terms of these programs, you know, work these teachers on these programs. But I understand that as I am doing that, if I want to see the transformation happen in the classroom, if I want to see the ownership from the teacher, if I want to see teachers looking at their own strengths and looking at their students and doing something different in the classroom, it must be something that they take the lead on and not me bringing them a mandate that was brought to me. And so once I made that shift mentally and how I worked, it actually also took stress off of my plate because I didn't feel like, Oh my gosh, if they're not, you better be using this. You gotta be using this because I'm being told that we want them to be using this. Yeah. It was just different. And my relationships with teachers, change as well because they weren't going oh my gosh here he is here he is because i don't talk about fidelity right i don't say i want you to be doing this for 15 minutes every day uh i talk literally about let's look at all let's look at what we have and figure out the best way for it to work with you and let me know how i can be of assistance as opposed to all right, it, it, yeah. And it it's, it's really amazing because it works on so many levels because when yeah. you're modeling good leadership too, then hopefully that's what they're doing in the classroom, you know, because the more we kind of cave into this really hierarchical system, you know, the more that plays out where the more we learn how to just work with people because some of it too, like, you know, let's say you do have a lead and it happens a lot, you know, you may be, and I'm not saying this in your case, but you know, they don't necessarily have a, a leader uh, an administrator they're comfortable with. 
how do you pitch an idea to them in a way that's going to be most effective for that personality type? And then how are you um, modeling leadership skills with adults? And then what does that play out into the classroom? And so we, yeah, we feel like there's a lot that can be learned on or learned from, from the business space in, in that case. And yeah, it, it helps all around. It has multiple benefits. So you just mentioned your book, Mm-hmm. Uh, the startup uh, teacher, uh, which I'm very excited about uh, getting. And when the book comes out, come back on the show to talk about your book. Okay. Um, for Times 10 Publications with Mark, I've actually interviewed Mark on my podcast. Yes. Uh, what was the pain point behind you writing the book? So I know you're, you're doing the work, but not everyone decides I'm going to write a book. So when did that moment come to you, the two of you, to say, it's time to write a book because we need to put it out there to be able to do X, Y, and Z? And what should your readers expect to see? All right. So, um, again, using some more business jargon, you know how you talk about scale versus spread? You know, so I'm not worried about my company growing really, really big, but I am, I would like to see this idea spread. You know, I would, I would love to see more teachers say, you know what? Yeah, let's revamp how we use meeting time, PD time. Let's make it more about collaboration. I'm investing in our ideas to make our schools better, you know, cause, cause we, it's local, it's grassroots kind of thing. And this is infrastructure. So the reason we were like, we should write this book is we don't want to fly out everywhere. We don't want you to waste money for us to do consulting. Like it's a, it's a drop in the bucket that way. Let's get a book out there because part of the reason this social entrepreneurship space, um, and it was kind of cool. Like I was in Madrid, we moved to Geneva. So I watched social entrepreneurship kind of like, um, just take over in various cities. Um, I remember at the time Zurich, uh, Zurich had a really thriving scene. Geneva's was less, but it was, it was kind of cool to just see these, these hubs of innovation blossom in different cities. Um, and of course it's in the U S and, um, we were like, what's beautiful about it is you don't need to be an expert. You just get the canvas and you run it. Like you don't need to be, you know, you don't, you, people are, it was enough for people to have the right conversations, if you will. And that's why we're like, let's, let's try to write a book. Will anybody buy it? We have no idea. <laughs> but that was kind of our goal of, you know, saying, let's write this because we trust teachers. We trust people. Like, let's just give them this and see what they do with it. So as an educator, what has been the greatest lesson you've learned about teaching and learning and preparing students and the teachers for this century of digital disruption? I mean, my biggest thing that I've learned is, yes, we really need to rethink how we do school. <laughs> um, and I think that's why um, I, I've really fallen into this, how we can better train and support teachers in this area. But I, I mean, part of the reason I even went to Spain to do my master's, I had taught in the U.S. a few years. And I mean, a lot of my kids, I was, I was teaching eighth grade um, uh, ancient world civilizations, which was just completely irrelevant to this body of students I had. And I'm thinking, why in the world am, am I teaching this? It's like this has zero value to them. It is irrelevant. It doesn't, it, it, this is, how is this going to help them? And I mean, you can do your best to incorporate skills and mindset or whatever, but I mean, the content was just way off. And I think, um, 
unfortunately, and again, going back to the social business space, policy moves ridiculous, I mean, very, very slowly. So what can we do in the meantime? Because we need to be able to adapt and be flexible in our schools so we can actually give the kids what they need. Mm -hmm. And right now, school is not flexible whatsoever. Um, you know, that, that um, why can't I think of his name right now? Ken... Can, ah, but he has the, he, everybody's watched his TED talk and it has on like yes. how schools operate as a yes. factory. Um, but you know, that's what we're dealing with. So I, I feel like if teachers were trained to adapt teaching and learning, we could get that flexibility we needed to really give our kids what they need. And it does vary school by school and sometimes classroom by classroom. Um, so I think that's what I've learned is it's, it's so different in every single school. Like the same problems are there, but the best way to solve it, the constraints, the opportunities you have, your resources are very different. And that's why we need to kind of, I think, go local, which to me means just supporting teachers. Because I hear the ideas. They always have them. I have never gone into a school and not heard teachers tell me what, what should be done and, and not agreed with them. Okay. And you, you just mentioned something that before I jump into the next question on the list, I want to go there. You're teaching you in the United States yes. and you say, I'm going to get my master's in Spain with this particular program. Huh? Huh? Like what, what, how does that happen? Like, I mean, you know, the United States, right? The United yeah. States is not, it's not like Europe especially when you, when you, I know, let's say the European Union, for example, because you have that free, uh, freedom of travel, um, it's different for people to say, hey, I'm from this country, I'm going to get my master's or my PhD here. There's a lot of influx of travel. People do this all the time. But the United States, most of us do not grow up with that mindset, nor do our teachers, even in undergrad, say, oh, by the way, I know you're doing this thing. Have you thought about going to get your master's in London, or have you thought about going to get your master's in Switzerland? It just doesn't happen. So, what happened to you? Uh, <laughs> that made honestly, you say, I, I wanted to learn Spanish, so I oh, went there. Yeah, okay. I like a lot of my students spoke Spanish. I can speak Spanish now. Um, so, I, I think I wanted to uh, also have that opportunity myself. I, I think um, it uh, it's very eye opening to you know to travel, um, and I think. I think when you see how other things operate in other places, it really makes you question why we do things, you know, what, you know, why is this happening at home? And, and in a good way, you know, I feel like it's very enlightening. Um, and then, yeah, I, I um, it was an incredible experience and I, yeah, I picked that because I wanted to do something different. And then, I mean, cause not only did you, you know, I learned Spanish, but also like coming back, now I know what it feels like to be in a room and be the only person that can't communicate. Like, you know what I mean? Like I know how hard it is to go to a new country now and be, and not be able to express my needs, you know, and to feel those feelings of like insecurity and, you know, cause I, you know, so, so often, um, with, um, uh, English language learners, you know, it's like just learn English or whatever. And, and, and just going through the experience myself was just kind of taught me a lot. Um, and then, and then also I like to travel. So I was like, I, it was just, it was kind of a bucket list thing. I've, I've always been interested and, um, yeah, there, and I picked Spain for, to learn Spanish and yeah. So it wasn't as random as it sounds, I think. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I know you, you, you had your thoughts, but it's still one of those things that when you bring it up in conversation, I know people are like, what, you did what? Because it's just not the norm for us to do that here. Okay, yeah. Well, and also, too, it was one year because of how expensive master's is here. It's like you could just go. It's an intense one-year program. Um, but the way it even functioned was different because it was like one year – you did it every day and it was just done. And then, um, and then also you really bonded with your people with like, I, I'm, I feel like I have a lot of, I still consider a, quite a few of those people, my good friends, you know, they're people you can really still reach out to. And yeah, it was, it was really a great experience. Very different from the master's experience here where you're like, I'm going to work and do my master's and be really stressed out for the next two to three years because it's actually going to take longer than I thought. So it was kind of nice to just go, focus on doing it and then yeah it was it was a good experience i would recommend that really to it was one of the choices i made that was uh turned out nicely (laughs) awesome awesome so for the benefit of those educators who have have become entrepreneurs and they're out there they're working they're trying to build their business what are the three to five things you do every day or on a weekly basis to make sure that the educator lab is successful? Um, a couple of things that popped to mind is one, um, make sure it's worth your time investment. So for example, if you have an idea for a course, just do the outline. Do not make the PowerPoints. Do not make all the materials. Do not do anything until someone actually wants to, to have this course done. Um, I see a lot of people just go gung-ho and on a, or, or for example, um, do not, build like do not buy office space if you don't need it like just don't you know so I see a lot of people get so excited about the idea and they they actually put do more than they need to so kind of like going lean if you will so don't don't do it be strategic with your time don't put the effort in until you need to until there's you know someone showing an interest in that or it's it's, it's evolved to that point um Another thing is just make sure you treat everybody nicely. I mean, just really building relationships. Um, I'm always, uh, yeah, just, I think, I think that's just essential. Um, so, and I think building relationships, meaning being very clear with your communication, following through with what you say you're going to do. And people respect that always, always end on a good note. There's really no reason, even if you get complicated people to work with, there is no reason that it needs to turn ugly, if you will. So I think staying professional um, and something else just came into my head and now I forgot. Oh, always sign a contract. Even if it is your friend, please sign contracts first, just in case, because, um, it's amazing how many people like, Oh, I trust them. I have a good vibe. No. Cause as soon as money rolls in, you'll really be amazed at how many people all of a sudden there's these little fights. So just get it on paper immediately. And then there's never any problems. It's a good way to just not avoid a bunch of unnecessary drama and difficult conversations that's all right love that gym right there love that gym so before we go and i've had a great conversation michelle thanks again for coming on yeah thank you this has been really uh this, is, this has been fun feels like a nice excellent. little coffee morning yeah excellent so what has been the greatest piece of advice that another entrepreneur has given you and what is your advice to those educators who are thinking about monetizing their talents? 
I think my greatest piece of advice hasn't like been directly spoken, but watched don't burn out. Like there is no idea that is worth you killing yourself and losing two years of your life. Um, for like, when I say this, I mean, try to do it in a nice way. Like you want to build your business. It's something you believe in, but don't lose out on like living your life. You know what I mean? Like this 80 hour week thing, this sounds terrifying. So <laughs> try to do it in a way where you don't burn out. I've seen a lot of people get really interested in an idea and they just kill themselves trying to work on it. And then something happens in their personal life and they're like, Oh my God, I wasted the last two years. Or, you know, the business fails and they just feel like total failures because they've just put all their eggs in this one basket. So like if you're, if you can, if you're going to do something, I mean, just try to do it in a way where it's, you still believe in it and it's fun to work on and it just evolves naturally so that, um, yeah, just so that you don't, you don't burn out. I've seen a lot of people just burn out on an idea and it's just because they didn't pace it or they just, you know, they just got so, so consumed. And I, I just say that more out of watching how many people um, have done it and it's led to like depression or, yeah, it's just not worth that, if that makes sense. Um, and what was your second question? What would you tell an educator who is thinking about monetizing their talents? Yeah, I guess it's the same thing. I mean, if they have an idea, honestly, usually if it's an idea that you really want to work on, it's probably because you stumbled upon it or you're like, oh my gosh, this works. I want to share it with people. Just do it in a way where it's still fun and enjoyable because as soon as it becomes into this whole, like, I need this to grow and make tons of money off this and I'm going to work myself to death, that you've, you've kind of probably lost sight of why you were doing it in the first place. And again, at least to what I was just saying of that, of that burnout. So um, just pace yourself so I awesome. think I think that would be the main yeah yeah awesome awesome thanks again Michelle yes thank you so much um yeah so I yeah I really appreciate this it was, it was nice good way to spend my Saturday morning so <laughs> sorry about the blanking mishap oh yeah you, I know you paused it but my daughter came rushing in earlier but um yeah I appreciate your patience with that so thanks so much no problem anytime now people you know how I do this this episode would be going up on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Simplecast. I need you to follow, subscribe, leave your comments, leave your recommendations, share with everyone because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show and I want her to know <laughs> that I'm doing big things around here. Should I tag her on Twitter? Hey, like, do Oprah, it. check it out. I will. I will. Do it. Do it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, people, again, I like to thank my guest, Michelle Blanchett, for coming on and dropping so many gems and, and having such an engaging and inspiring conversation. This is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace. <laughs>